especially remember, today is Reformation Sunday, and today we especially remember the work of Martin Luther, who in the face of political power and authority of a political Roman church, led the battle in rediscovering God's mission. And that's what our sermon series has been about, rediscovering God's mission for the church. Luther succeeded in restoring God's word as the exclusive authoritative power of God instead of the word of the institutional church at that time. Luther worked within the given structure of the church, in other words, where there were priests and cardinals and bishops. However, he realized that the structure was cultural, the structure was historical, but it was something, the framework in which the gospel had to be preached. His concern was not to rip the culture away, nor the history of the church, but to preserve God's word and authority as it had been given since the beginning of the church when Christ ascended into heaven. Remember that up to this point, the gospel literally had been hidden for 1,200 years under a structure that dominated Europe politically, that dominated Europe spiritually, that dominated in a hierarchical system in which the Bishop of Rome, remember when we went through that last Sunday, when Christianity was legalized, took the helm of the ship, to make an analogy like that, and was claimed as if Christ himself were speaking through him. The church had grown into this political power through cardinals and bishops and priests in succession of authority over kings and queens and princes of kingdoms that had nothing to do with the church. Ignorant and uneducated farmers all the way up to kings and queens feared the Pope and the Roman church. They stood in judgment over them as if Christ himself were judging them politically, economically, spiritually. And it was through penance and indulgences, through the confessional, that they manipulated power over the people so that in a business-like enterprise, they would forgive sins of those who were obedient, even to the point of offering positions of cardinal and bishop and priests to those who could make the purchase of such a title and an office. How did God's mission get so distorted? How did God's mission from the mandate go and make disciples develop into a church that excluded the faithful from the ranks and from the saved and the ones to whom the mandate was originally given? Last week we explored what happened during the first 300 years of the church. I made the point that the shift from go and make disciples to establishing a political structure happened after the church became legal. As long as they were persecuted, they had no way of getting all the churches together. But once they became legal, that's when the structure that the church had in place all of a sudden took predominated in what the church was. And eventually, as we saw, 
the Pope or the Bishop of Rome became the central figurehead in the Western world. But Luther was not the only person who saw the spiritual and political corruption of the church. There were others who had died at the stake before him. But what Luther had to his advantage and success was a nationalism among the priests and the and the 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 priests and the dukes and the no, no, nobility in Europe at that time who wanted to separate from Rome. He also had the advantage of having the printing press so that he could disseminate material in support of the gospel over against the church. Luther's discontent with the church, however, was not his original struggle. It was interior. It was an internal struggle, a spiritual struggle with God. Because as, as a young man, he entered into the Augustinian monastery looking for God's peace, wanting to know a God that did not judge him, wanting to know that he too was among the saved. And so he tried to live up to that. We've all seen movies about his life. He obeyed to the T all the orders that were given to him, even whipping himself to the point of fainting thinking that he could please God and was impossible to do so. That's when he sought the scriptures on his own in a library. Since there were no printing presses before that, Bibles were few. Not everybody had one. And people could not read and write uh, regularly. And it was in the words of scripture where Luther found God. Not the church, but God. He found the gospel and the mission of Christ as it had been given to the apostles and the disciples before our Lord Jesus ascended into heaven. Because Luther challenged the power of the Pope and his authority on the basis of Scripture, he was threatened to death, to be burned at the stake for heresy. And in the face of death, we come to know his famous phrase, as he stood with books around him before Pope's authority and before the princes at that time, and he said, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right, nor is it safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. This formed the Reformation model, which we know faith alone, scripture alone, and grace alone. Not councils, not papal authority, but only God's authority through his word. These three words, faith, scripture, and grace, were basically what had been corrupted under the political authority of the papal church. Faith in Roman Catholicism was the irrelevant for the individual. As long as you were a member of the church, you were saved. As long as you were baptized by a priest, you were saved. As long as you went to confession and did what the, the priest wanted, you were saved. It had nothing to do with faith, 
but rather obedience. Scripture was not taught, but the catechism was, and the catechism was all the laws of the church that were made by the bishops. Grace was not what the word means, freely given. Grace was earned, and it was seen as a specific power that God gave you to do good works so that you were saved. It wasn't the grace of God freely given for the forgiveness of sins. You could see the tight hold that faith and scripture and grace held over the people. But now, after the Reformation, because of God's word restored through the Reformation, people did not have to obey the Pope or fear the Pope or the priests or be a member of the Catholic Church to be saved. Their faith in Christ was sufficient. Now people did not have to pay money for the forgiveness of their sins or deliberate people from purgatory as they were selling these indulgences for those who had died. They were freely forgiven and had eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now they could read the scriptures on their own as they were being educated. They could see the mistakes that the church had made. They could see God's power through the word and through Christ himself. They could find Christ in the scriptures. But faith alone and scripture alone and grace alone were only the tip of the iceberg. The reformation of the Christian church was not merely a penned reformation, something that people signed, but a reformation of the hearts of individuals who came to know Christ as their Savior through the knowledge of Scripture, through the faith in Christ that was produced by the Holy Spirit, through the hearing and the learning of God's Word, and freely given by grace, not something that was earned. This was all new for these people. These three words restored the scriptural authority. It turned Christianity upside down and it attacked the corrupt political structure that had become the church over 1,200 years. The Reformation went further than just the transformational freedom that God's word brought to people. It rediscovered God's mission through the faithful, through his church and the mandate, go and make disciples. You, the faithful, you, the believers, are the church of God, not merely the priests. The power and authority of the word is irrespective of the person. Let me repeat that. The power and authority of God's word is irrespective of the person. It is independent from the person. This destroyed the corrupt power in the church that held that individual believers captive. Can you imagine what it was like for Christians as they became educated in what Scripture said to discover that the real power and authority of the church is God's word and not the Pope? It's liberating. That is was not the priest who forgave sins, but God's word. That it was not the priest who validated baptism in the Lord's Supper, but rather God's word through which he makes himself present. 
that worthiness to receive these gifts from God was not based on our sinlessness, but on God's mercy wrought through Jesus Christ. The righteous shall live by faith, as we read in Romans, not by works. It is freedom. To know that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith, that you are a child of God, even outside of the Roman system, which was the only one present at that time. People had to take a step, almost like Luther himself. We're going to leave the church and believe in Christ on our own. And as churches turned over from Catholic to what later became called Lutheran, people were re educated. The focus on God's word and God's mission is on the faithful believers, the saints, all who believe in Christ. And that's what our text in 1 Peter says. We are a holy people. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The priesthood of all believers rediscovers God's mission as the mission to be done by the people of God. His children. His saints. The people are the ones sent out, not the priests, not the hierarchy, not the pastors, but the people. We offer forgiveness through Christ, we offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and we offer praises before God. That's what a priest does. That's what we all do. The priesthood of all believers now meant that it was not the power of the priest that made baptism of the Lord's Supper or the sermon or the pronouncement of the forgiveness of sins to validate and authoritative. It was God's word and God's word alone. That a common father of a family could baptize his child or celebrate the Lord's Supper or give and pronounce the forgiveness of sins to his wife or to his children. We are all in the priesthood of all believers. What did that mean for the pastor who was called to serve as the pastor of the congregation? What did that mean for the leadership in the church then at that time? The place and call of the pastor in the congregation is the authority of the congregation. It's not the authority of anyone outside the congregation. The congregation is chosen out of the midst. One of them who will spiritually guide them, instruct them, watch over them, and protect them from false doctrine. The ordination of that person means that they were sent out to do just that. The laying on of hands was not a special power given, not a special ability, but rather a confirming, conferring that this is the man we want to lead us in our spiritual well-being. Let's make it personal. That's why I'm here. The sacraments are not mine. Baptism is not mine to give. The Lord's Supper is not mine to give. I don't own them. I have no special power given to me even because I went to seminary. 
because we're all part of the priesthood of believers. God's word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, is given to the congregation of the faithful. And in their midst, they choose someone who will represent them and bring it all together and officiate and conduct these spiritual services for them. In other words, the word of God is what makes baptism. The word of God is what works through his word. The word of God is what brings us the body and blood of our Lord in the Lord's Supper. Not the LCMS, not the pastor, but the congregation. This priesthood of all believers also meant for Luther that the general membership of any church needed to be educated in doctrine, in scriptures, theologically capable because of their faith. To know the difference between good doctrine and bad doctrine, what the Bible taught and what it did not, so that they would not fall into error. That was the Reformation. That was 500 years ago. We are 500 years into the Reformation. After 1,200 years of corruption and disruption. Is the priesthood of all believers realized and utilized today? Yes and no. As the Lutheran Church developed since 1517, there were vestiges of organization and structure that were retained from the Catholic Church, not necessarily bad. And Luther taught that we should use what is good and useful as long as it does not contradict Scripture. And so today we have a system of pastors. We have training of pastors, but without the hierarchy of power. And we should be sure that Lutheran pastors preach and teach God's word, faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone. But there is a political system involved. There's a human system because we're human. There's structures, there, is, there are denominations, but our challenge as Christians is to not let the political and organized Parts of the church interfere with what our mission is. That's what happened in the early church, remember? The structure was whatever was needed to get God's word out. To go and make disciples. And to that end, the priesthood of all believers has not really been explored and taken to heart. The institutional Lutheran church, the typical congregation, the typical church body, believes that only the pastor has the authority to perform baptisms. That only the pastor has the authority to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That only the pastor should pronounce the forgiveness of sins. That only the pastor's prayers before the congregation will be heard more by God than by anybody else. People, for the most part, do not see themselves as part of the priesthood just because someone is called to oversee, as the elders did in the New Testament, that good doctrine, that faith in Christ, and that organization be followed. Many Lutherans assume that the pastor is the one authorized, authorized and has the power and the ability. But look at 1 Corinthians, our other passage in the bulletin, seems to suggest otherwise. Does the pastor act alone? 
Is he the overseer, the elder, the deacon of the early church, or the priest of the Roman church? This is the question I leave with you today. Paul's talking about the body of Christ, that everyone coming together forms the body of Christ. Old and young with abilities. Everyone. We are free in Christ to organize God's mission as the priesthood of all believers in ministry together. That is why 1 Peter says we are the priesthood of all believers. But Romans 12, Paul says something very interesting. The utilization of our gifts as the body of Christ in the priesthood of all believers is our worship to God. It is our work as his children and our service as his worshipers. Here's what he says. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by God's mercies, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. And what Paul is driving at is in the Greek word that he uses, latran, which means liturgy. Liturgy, what we can think of as the worship service, the form that we follow in the bulletin. But the liturgy is our lives. That's what Paul is getting at. We, in our reasonable service as the body of Christ, in what we do in the world, is our worship of God. You are a part of a holy people. A chosen nation, his own people, a royal priesthood, made so by the blood of Christ. I leave you with a question for next week. How do you fit into the priesthood of all believers? Where is your place in the body of Christ? What gifts do you have and bring? Because we all have them. Where are you in Christ's body? And that's where we're going next week. Amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ or about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www.gracealoneonline.org. You can email us at gracealoneonline at gmail.com.